Hey everyone, welcome to Brain Health with Dr. Nissen. In this show, we explore the universe's great unknown, the human brain. In my reflections and interviews with guests, we'll go to the forefront of psychiatry, neuroscience, nutrition, and medicine to see how we can enhance our mental health, sharpen our cognition, and reach better performance. This is Brain Health, and I'm Dr. Nissen. Let's dive right in. All right, welcome to Brain Health with Dr. Nissen. Today I am here to talk a bit about cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. And today, this is sort of a hype episode to get you all excited for my conversation that I'm having with uh, Dr. Michael Perlis. So Dr. Perlis is an internationally known um, uh, researcher in the field of behavioral sleep medicine. He is the co-author of the first textbook in this field and uh, has published numerous uh, manuals for cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. So in many ways, he's sort of the guy to talk about for this. But uh, for any of you that are struggling with insomnia, which is a lot of you, uh, I find that um, you know a lot of people aren't aware of these highly validated, highly evidence-based approaches for insomnia. And so I wanted to record these series of podcasts so that you can learn about cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia um, and a little bit about um, what uh, what it entails, some things that you know all of you might be able to take into your lives in order to sleep better, but also for the people that are really having trouble sleeping, if you look for a practitioner of cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia or CBTI, um, these episodes will help to give you kind of uh, a little how-to, um, rather what to expect. Uh, so, you know, these are not meant to be treatment. These are not meant to be advice, uh, but it's kind of a bit of a background for those of you struggling with insomnia uh, so that you know what CBTI is all about. So let's go ahead and, and, um, and go to sort of the nuts and bolts of what cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia is. So CBTI, or cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, is an evidence-based uh, therapy approach for insomnia. Uh, as you may have heard me talk about before, cognitive behavioral therapy is the area of therapy that is focused around the relationship between thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. And the fact that each one of those things affects the other. So what we think affects how we behave and it affects how we feel. What we feel affects what we think and how we behave and what we and how we behave affects how we think and how we feel. So uh, for cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, this is a, uh, a sort of cognitive behavioral therapy that is, uh, that is um, you know, specifically tailored for this problem of insomnia. It is a drug-free intervention. You don't necessarily need to take any medications for it to work, although there are sometimes medications that are helpful for insomnia. Uh, typically the treatment, um, you know, uh, sort of phase for CBTI is five to eight weeks and it's been very well tested and the clinical gains from CBTI are comparable to if not better than really any sleeping pill or prescription out there and it's found to have long-lasting effects. This is really you know like getting to the root issue of your sleep problems. Um, uh, so you know in comparison with sleeping pills um, you know, the sleeping pills aren't, aren't a cure 
typically with um, a lot of these, as soon as you stop taking them, your improvements will go away. Um, sleeping pills that people can be uh, prescribed include benzodiazepines, which are a class of medications that um, have a strong addiction potential. They work by uh, increasing GABA, which is um, a, which is a neurotransmitter that plays an important role in sort of uh, anxiety relief or sort of uh, it's an inhibitory neurotransmitter. So it sort of, uh, you know, sh shuts things down or quiets things down in the brain. But the problem is as soon as you take it away, people have an extra spike of uh, glutamate, which is sort of the opposite of GABA. So uh, it can lead to dependency and it's very similar to alcohol in that if you were to stop taking uh, benzodiazepine medications, you can have seizures, you can have withdrawal sort of tremors, um, uh, delirium tremens, um, DTs like they call it in alcohol withdrawal. So, you know, there are serious risks for benzodiazepines. Uh, there's a class called Z-hypnotics, which are relatives of benzodiazepines. Those are things like uh, Zolpidem. Um, these medications also have their own, you know, side effects and things for you to discuss with the doctor. Um, and then there's also things like antidepressants that are used for insomnia. Um, you know, um, some of them are used without an FDA-approved indication. They may help to some degree, um, but uh, they also have their own side effects to consider. And then people use melatonin as well. Uh, melatonin, you know, you can get over the counter, but there's not a lot of good FDA, uh, well, there's there's not a lot of uh, good regulation, meaning that uh, you're, there's inconsistencies in what you're really consuming. Um, and melatonin plays an important role in the human body for sort of setting the clock for when our um, you know, physiological systems go into place and our hormones that make us feel awake um, and then help us to feel sleepy at the right time of the day. Um, and so it's, melatonin is important in sort of setting that internal clock, but it's not necessarily uh, all that helpful for helping you to feel sleepy and fall asleep more quickly. Anyways, uh, so those are, you know, some of the medication options that you might hear about if you talk with your doctor, um, but uh, none of those really get to the root cause of your insomnia quite like CBTI does. So CBTI is, uh, it's you know, considered an appropriate intervention for people that have what's called primary insomnia. So that means you have insomnia or sleep problems that are not due to a medical or psychiatric illness. Uh, some people debate this and say, you know, that it's really helpful for just about any sort of insomnia, as long as you treat the underlying condition as well. So if somebody has insomnia and they have a significant, a significant, um, uh, you know, trauma condition or something, PTSD, and they can't sleep because of the anxiety or sort of flashbacks related to the PTSD, as long as that's the PTSD is being treated, then maybe CBTI could be layered on top of that. Anyways, um, uh, so it's important to work with a trained professional to figure out whether you have primary insomnia or secondary, um, and, um, and then, uh, you know, really what people look like that most benefit for CBTI are people that have, um, of course, insomnia, so difficulty falling or staying asleep. And then those who have um, extended sleep opportunity or time in bed. So people that are spending a lot of time in bed, but not a lot of time sleeping, you have poor sleep efficiency. 
So high sleep efficiency means you hit the bed and boom, you're asleep. And then you wake up eight hours later and boom, you know, you feel awake. There's, there's no uh, sort of uh, breaking up of your sleep um, uh, continuity. Um, so somebody that has poor sleep efficiency, so they spend a lot of time in bed, a lot of it's tossing and turning and a little amount of it is actually sleeping. That could, that's somebody that would really benefit from CBTI. Um, people that are spending, that have behaviors in their bed or bedroom that are not sleep and sex. So, you know, people that are watching TV in bed, doing work in bed, reading on their uh, computer um, or laptop, you know, those are people that would benefit. Um, people that have evidence of what's called conditioned arousal. Now we're getting to some kind of research terms, but this is, uh, think about, um, you know, conditioning. Uh, there's the famous experiment with Pavlov's dogs where he would take uh, meat and then the dog would salivate. He would give it, give it uh, the piece of meat to the dog. Um, and then would take meat, ring a bell, the dog would salivate, would give the meat, and then eventually would just ring a bell and the dog would salivate. So the, the dog was conditioned to salivate at the bell instead of the thing that actually caused him to salivate first, which is the meat. And so the same thing can happen with our uh, sleep in that we can condition ourselves to make the bed something that instead of making us feel sleepy, makes us feel awake. And that's a problem, and it's a very common problem in insomnia. So, uh, so if there's evidence of conditioned arousal, if there's evidence that you and your sleep environment feel more aroused, so you suddenly feel awake when you're getting into bed, or you're sleeping better when you're away from home, those are evidence that you have, uh, you know, uh, some problems with the uh, the how you've conditioned your sleep environment, and that will respond well to cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, CBTI. Similarly, people with poor sleep hygiene, so alcohol um, is a common thing that gets in the way of people's quality sleep using stimulants or caffeine. Uh, those are other common uh, issues as well. So there you go. Those are some people that would benefit from CBTI. Um, so there are three components of insomnia. That would be first, chronicity, second, frequency, and the third is severity. So chronicity, you need to identify whether your insomnia is acute or chronic. Acute means that it's something that is, uh, uh, that is developed in the short term. And chronic is something that is developed over a longer period of time. So um, in the case of insomnia, uh, you know, acute is typically uh, considered as less than one month since the onset of symptoms. And the cause of the insomnia can be either biological, psychological, or social. So it could be, you know, acutely that um, there's uh, some sort of substance use that, that was at the start of it, right? Um, something biological like that. Um, or some sort of physical injury, like a back injury or, or something that's causing pain. So those are biological acute causes, psychological acute causes, so like a breakup or like, you know, deadline at work. Um, and then social acute causes, I guess a breakup would maybe be a more appropriate example for there. Um, but, you know, similarly, some sort of um, thing going on in society, a war or a
terrorist uh, event, something like that. Um, so identifying whether there's something like that that's happened in the last one month period, or if you have chronic insomnia, these are people, this is most people that, you know, come to treatment for insomnia are people that have chronic insomnia and typically it's defined as six months or more and people tend to feel like their insomnia has quote unquote a life of its own there's a pattern of you know i try to go to sleep at 11 and then i around 1 a.m decide enough with it i pull out my computer i do that for a little while i try to go back to sleep i sleep for an hour i wake up a little bit later and i go down and get a glass of water that's you know, when you can describe it in a pattern way like that, it's a good chance that you have chronic insomnia. And it's a good thing to, to, uh, to you know, be aware of as we're working up this issue and coming up with a plan. Next, the frequency of the insomnia. So typically three nights per week or more of having difficulty falling or staying asleep is what's defined as, uh, you know, a severe, sufficiently severe frequency of the insomnia. And then intensity of the insomnia uh, is when your uh, sleep initiation takes a long time and or if you have low sleep duration. So it's really, uh, it's considered normal for it to take up to a half hour for you to fall asleep. If it's taking more than a half hour for you to fall asleep, then that's problems with sleep initiation. Uh, and sleep duration, you know, that's what everyone talks about, the eight hours of sleep. That is a very um, debated area and people have a lot of feelings about that because uh, there's so many confounders there. There are natural genetic biological variations between people of what is an appropriate total sleep time, but also these things are really difficult to study unless somebody's in a lab. And so people, you know, they don't know when they're saying, yeah, doc, I sleep eight hours. Well, is, uh, you know, an hour and a half of those eight hours spent laying in bed. So is your total sleep time really six and a half hours or is it eight? Um, the, it, it, all, it all makes a difference. So anyways, um, usually more than total sleep time things like uh, the sleep initiation time or time to sleep is, uh, is you know, kind of one factor that's a bit easier to, to measure. Um, all right, and then, um, you know, another thing that the doctor may ask about is what sort of daytime, daytime symptoms you have or if you're having any kind of lingering issues that you notice that are related to the insomnia. Uh, that's important because you may just be somebody that doesn't have a lot of sleep need um, and so, yeah, you know, you, you try to go to bed at 10 and wake up at 6, but you lay there for two hours, but you're still able to function without any impairment during the day, then maybe you just have decreased sleep need. Um, so um, it's important to, uh, to you know, sort of get, it, get an idea of, um, of how you're impaired during the day or not. Um, so... Uh, a few things to say is that, uh, you know, there are, for people that have chronic insomnia, uh, one way that you can think about it is that these people tend to have some sort of acute insomnia that then um, worsens by maladaptive coping behaviors. So, uh, so the acute insomnia could happen from your genetic uh, predispositions, something that happened 
in the um, environment, uh, some sort of, uh, you know, some people just have more hyper arousal, hyper reactivity at baseline. They're kind of more um, kind of uptight, I guess you could say. Um, and, uh, or they tend to be somebody who's very ruminative or sort of neurotic uh, personality, um, you know, those sorts of things, you know, put them at high risk and then say something uh, happens like you have a baby and the baby's crying through the night and so then you have a period of, of decreased sleep and then what happens are the maladaptive coping behaviors and that is what develops the chronic insomnia and what uh, perpetuates the chronic insomnia. Those maladaptive coping behaviors are things like spending excessive time in bed because you're trying to give yourself more opportunities to sleep. Um, so, you know, trying to get into bed earlier, trying to stay in bed later into the morning, uh, you know, pressing the snooze button, thinking I hardly slept last night, so I should try to sleep a little longer, behaviors like that. Uh, and then non-sleep behaviors in the bedroom. So this is again, conditioning yourself to work in the bedroom because you take out your laptop or, or whatever. So those are the perpetuating factors that are almost always uh, at play when somebody develops chronic insomnia. Um, all right, uh, so uh, there are a few things that tend to be seen in people with chronic insomnia. Uh, one of them is that people with insomnia tend to go to bed earlier, tend to get out of bed later, and they tend to nap. So going to bed earlier and waking up later means you're spending, what, more total time in bed or in the bedroom. So that's a common thing seen in chronic insomnia. And then napping as well. So uh, why would these actually be maladaptive? Well, think about it. Um, the uh, the key to healthy sleep, or one way to think about healthy sleep, is that healthy sleep is efficient, meaning that you are able to fall asleep as soon as you want to, and you don't wake up until your body's gotten what it needs. That is, uh, that's that's you know a rough sort of way to think about e efficient sleep. What people do is when they notice that they're not sleeping well, they try to give themselves more time in bed so that they can catch up. But the whole catching up thing, um, it tends to only make it worse because then you're spending more time in bed and less of that time asleep. So your sleep efficiency is going down and you're training yourself by spending all this time being awake in bed um, that, uh, that, that the bedroom is, is a place where you're actually uh, supposed to be awake rather than asleep and that's not what you want. Um, so, uh, you know, doing things like non-sleep behaviors in the bedroom uh, lead to what's called stimulus discontrol. And this is something Spielman talks about, who's a prominent researcher in this area. Um, so, uh, you want to have stimulus control, not stimulus discontrol. That means you want for bed equals sleep. You don't want for bed equals get work done, bed equals watch a show, bed equals eating. You want for bed to equal sleep always. Um, and that's uh, stimulus control. And um, so that is very important. So how does this work? So cognitive behavioral therapy for uh, insomnia, CBTI, it's been defined in many different ways and sort of the, the treatments have been grouped together in different ways.
but uh, so the, these different components include stimulus control. So that's what I was just referring to uh, about um, associating bed with sleep or bedroom with sleep. Uh, the second one is sleep restriction. So that means that a component of CBTI is to uh, initially restrict how much you are sleeping, believe it or not. Um, that I'll come back to that, but that makes this a hard thing to do, and it's uh, something you should know up front. Uh, the sleep is going, you're going to be sleeping less before you're sleeping more. So that's something to keep in mind with cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. But so the components are stimulus control, sleep restriction. The third one is sleep hygiene. The fourth one, relaxation training. The fifth one, cognitive therapy. There may be some other ones, but the, the main ones, at least for Dr. Perlis, as far as I understand from his writings and uh, in most of the major textbooks are, first of all, sleep restriction, second of all, stimulus control, and thirdly, sleep hygiene. So stimulus control therapy, this is a component of CBTI that is focused all around looking at your bedroom environment and making sure that bed equals sleep, bedroom equals sleep. Okay, so um, there, uh, what, what the treatment focuses around is looking at your sleep environment and looking at the things that you do in the bedroom and to uh, think about ways to increase the strength of the association between your bedroom and sleep. So there are some rules that are applied. Usually those rules include lie down only when intending to sleep and feeling sleepy. So no lying down if you're not trying to go to sleep right away. No lying down in your bed if you're not trying to go to sleep right away. No lying down in your bed if you do not feel sleepy. Secondly, avoid any behaviors in the room except for sleep and sex. There's actually a joke that Dr. Perlis makes, which is really funny. I, he said he got it from someone else, but that um, the only reason why they put sex in there is because of a lack of creativity in Americans. Um, so that the that bedroom should be for sleep only. Uh, thirdly, to um, leave the bedroom if you're awake greater than 15 minutes. Fourthly, to return to bed only if sleepy. And then as you return to bed, you can again leave if you don't fall asleep within 15 minutes. So, um, uh, and, and then the last one, which is very important, is to keep a fixed wake time seven days per week every single day, wake up at the exact same time, okay? So again, lying down only when you intend to go to sleep and are feeling sleepy. Secondly, avoid any behaviors in the room, in the bedroom, except for sleep. Thirdly, leave the bedroom if you are awake for greater than 15 minutes. Fourthly, return to bed only if you are asleep, if you are sleepy. And, and the fifth rule is to keep a fixed wake time every day of the week. So, um, the, and one, one thing that's important to put in here, so, and perhaps the most challenging one, leave the bedroom if awake greater than 15 minutes. Um, so I, uh, have a baby and my sleep, um, my, my time to, to fall asleep or my sleep latency is, has been increased since having the baby. And so I've been thinking about CBTI, of course, and I think about this of, you know, not um, getting out of bed if you can't fall asleep within 15 minutes. And 
it is so challenging for me. And that's because, um, in my mind, it almost feels like you're like giving up or something. It's like, um, you're, uh, you're giving in and you feel a little scared. Like, well, if I wake up, you know, I'm, um, not, I'm, I'm probably not going to be able to fall asleep for a long time, but that's, that's part of the treatment. Like we'll talk about street sleep restriction. The more that you, uh, lose sleep at the beginning, the greater that you'll increase the sleep pressure and the easier you'll be able to fall asleep later. Anyways, uh, so that is something that is so important. Don't fight it. When you are in bed and you're trying to fall asleep, do not fight it. Get up. And uh, sometimes people have what's called clock checking or clock watching behavior. So if you have like a, a clock that you're looking at or you're checking your phone to see has it been 15 minutes, you don't want to be doing that. So sometimes they recommend hiding, you know, a clock, hiding your phone and to just... Um, in your mind, ask yourself, am I feeling clearly awake or am I feeling irritated or annoyed that I haven't fallen asleep yet? If that is the case, then you should get up. So um, those are some of the components of stimulus control therapy. Again, it is to lie down only when you want to fall asleep and you're feeling sleepy. Two, to avoid any behaviors in the bedroom except for sleep. Three, to leave the bedroom if you're awake greater than 15 minutes. Four, to return to bed only if you're sleepy. And five, to keep a fixed wake time seven days per week. That last one, fixed wake time seven days per week. Do you do that? I don't do that. That is challenging uh, because perhaps in my mind, the definition of luxury, the definition of uh, vacation is to sleep in, to sleep, you know, as long as I want. Like that is luxury at its finest. So, you know, um, luckily, you know, it, it all depends on how big of an issue this is for you and how seriously you're going to, to take the treatment and the recommendations. But it is really important to keep that wake time the same because again, the whole trying to catch up on sleep thing is a really important component that makes this issue worse. You want to really wake up at the same time every day uh, if you want to be able to march back the time that you're able to fall asleep at night. Okay, um, so uh, one thing I want to mention is that um, for all of this, for CBTI, and I was just speaking about stimulus control therapy, which is a component of CBTI, uh, there are people who this is not a good fit for. Uh, this would be people with, um, with seizure disorders, epilepsy, or hist uh, history of seizures, people with bipolar disorder. Um, so you can actually trigger mania sometimes by uh, sleep restriction. Uh, parasomnias, people that have um, uh, problems with sleep terrors, sleepwalking, sleep talking, uh, all of those things. And also, you know, talk as with everything, you know, this is not medical advice, talk with your doctor. Certainly if you're doing operating heavy machinery or driving, um, these, all these things, you know, can have implications on your ability to function as you're in this stage of, of treatment. So the next component, sleep restriction therapy. So this is a really important component of CBTI, sleep restriction therapy or sleep restriction, um, is it? Yeah, sleep restriction therapy. So uh, what this is all focused on, it's going to be a systematic way that you and a the therapist uh, 
first decrease the amount of time that you're in bed and then slowly march it back. So what uh, the, the way that this is usually approached is to take your total time in bed and make it equal to the your total sleep time. So if you're somebody right now who goes to bed at 10 p.m. and you don't fall asleep till midnight and then you wake up at 5, what is your total sleep time? Five hours, right? Midnight to five. So that means two of those hours are spent awake in bed trying to fall asleep and five of those hours were, were spent um, asleep. So what you do in sleep restriction is you are going to get in bed at midnight instead of at 10. And what's going to happen is, uh, you know, so if you get to bed at midnight and then you wake up at, at, uh, at five, um, maybe at first, since you have such poor sleep efficiency, maybe you get into bed at midnight and then you still lay there an hour or two. So then now you're falling asleep at 2 a.m. and then you still are waking up at 5 because remember the rule, you have to wake up at the same time every day. So what does that mean? You just slept three hours instead of five. This is what the initial phases of CBTI look like. Your sleep time is going to go down before it gets better. But what happens after a while of you going to bed at midnight, getting into bed at midnight, um, is that your sleep is going to become more efficient. Because you only slept three hours the night before instead of your regular five, you're gonna be very sleepy the next day. You're gonna have all of these mechanisms in your body that are pushing you to have increased sleep pressure. You have things like adenosine, which, which um, accumulates in your body to create this sleep pressure. So you're gonna to have tons of sleep pressure then the next night, because you only slept three hours, and guess what? You're going to get in bed at midnight, and for the first time maybe in a while, you might fall asleep within 30 minutes, so or maybe within an hour, right? So then that next night, um, instead of sleeping three hours, maybe you slept four. And then again, the next night, maybe instead of four hours, you slept four and a half. And then before you know it, you'll be going to bed uh, at midnight and falling asleep almost immediately, and then waking up at five. Then, once you've gotten back to around that five, your therapist is going to march it back and back and back. You'll be able to start going to bed at 11.30, and then at 11, and then at 10.30, and then at 10. And usually, actually, it's done in 15-minute increments instead of 30 minutes, but um, you'll be able to march back until then. Before you know it, you'll be sleeping seven hours straight, and you'll have a really good sleep initiation. So you'll be able to... Uh, you know, go to sleep at 10, fall asleep within 30 minutes, and then wake up at 5. That is getting to the root of the problem. That is fixing your sleep. And that is what is so cool about CP CBTI. So, um, again, um, it's, uh, it gets worse before it gets better. And that's important to keep in mind. And, you know, for certain people, that may mean that you're impaired for the first couple weeks because you were so sleep deprived. But again, it's going to get worse and then it will get better. Um, so what you're doing is you're untraining yourself from having this terrible sleep efficiency where you're only spending five out of your seven hours in bed sleeping. You're going to improve that efficiency and get it back to 90 or 95% where you are spending 95% of your time in bed asleep. That's the goal. Okay.
Um, so that is sleep restriction therapy. Um, so finally, um, sleep hygiene education. So this is an important component. It's looking at uh, the principles of healthy, of healthy sleep behaviors. Um, so for instance, um, sleep only as much as you need to feel refreshed during the following day. So you don't want any extra sleep. It's a really important component of sleep hygiene. Um, get up at the same time each day, seven days a week. Exercise regularly. The better you exercise, the more regular your ex exercise is, uh, the, the uh, easier it will be for you to initiate sleep and deepen sleep. Making sure your bedroom is comfortable and free from light and noise. So looking at your bedroom environment, you know, is there, um, do you have curtains and uh, are there like street lights outside that are coming in? Um, do you have a dog that is barking and is there anywhere you, you can move the dog so that you hear them less? Um, similarly, uh, you know, looking out for nighttime awakenings. So, um, communicating with your sleep partner or your, or your spouse to, uh, you know, try to get into bed around the same time and get out of bed around the same time, come up, use some sort of alarm system that doesn't wake up the other person, things like that. Um, making sure your bedroom is at a comfortable temperature during the night. So, you know, very warm or very cold environments disturb sleep. It's better for it to be colder than warmer. Um, eating regular meals, not going to bed hungry, uh, doing that can uh, worsen your, your sleep. Having excessive liquids in the evening, so needing to wake up to urinate frequently. That is a very common issue. A lot of older men who have um, prostate, um, so they have benign prosthetic, um, prostate hyperplasia where they have, uh, you know, the prostate growth that isn't necessarily cancerous. Uh, you know, where you're going to bed three, four, five times in the middle of the night, all of those are interruptions that sure, they might not take that much out of your total sleep time, but they're interruptions in your sleep architecture and you want to have these, uh, this progression from kind of light sleep to deep sleep and to REM sleep and then back. And so um, you wanna avoid those interruptions. So, you know, I like to tell people at have dinner time be your last drink. Maybe, you know, if you're gonna have like one alcoholic drink after that, um, keep it to that. Um, but uh, to, yeah, to avoid um, liquids and to avoid alcohol, especially in the evening, alcohol as well uh, tends to lead to less deep sleep and people uh, wake up frequently in the middle of the night um, with alcohol and they often don't realize it happening, but again, it disturbs the architecture. Um, don't you know go to bed anxious um, so try to write things out or journal before going to bed can be helpful um, don't try to fall asleep again relating to the stimulus uh, sort of model that you want to um, you know get out of bed if you don't fall asleep within the first 15 minutes or so uh, and avoid naps during the day avoiding naps is very important and the reason why so you know for some people that don't have insomnia naps can be good and healthy but for people that are struggling with insomnia naps 
can get in the way of you building up that pressure, that sleep pressure, to then allow you to initiate sleep much easier at night. So it's really important to allow yourself to get very, very sleepy for your nighttime during those initial stages of treatment with CBTI. So those are the main components. Again, there's the three components. Stimulus control therapy, so that is doing everything you can to associate bed with sleep and nothing else. The next one, sleep restriction therapy. So that's doing everything that you can to make it so that your time in bed is as efficient as possible, meaning your um, time in bed, total time in bed is equal to your, almost equal to your total sleep time. So like you fall asleep almost immediately and you don't wake up at all. And then the third component is sleep hygiene. So being careful with caffeine, being careful with alcohol, um, creating a dark, cool sleep environment, all of those things, okay? So those are the main components of CBTI. There are some other ones that have been studied that I didn't mention, one of which is cognitive therapy. So for people that have sort of ruminative um, anxiety and particularly have um, like critical thoughts, all right? anxiety, automatic, um, automatic negative thoughts, intrusive thoughts uh, related to not being able to sleep, about these problems with sleep. Um, cognitive behavioral therapy can be really important for that to recognize, um, you know, that all those negative things that we think about, some, some of the components are true, some of them are not true, and to challenge them. Um, so there is another uh, thing that can be added to CBTI, which is relaxation training. This is what I think most people think about when they think of like sleeping exercises, things like progressive muscle relaxation, so sort of, uh, or meditation as well, but um, and muscle relaxation to go like from head to toe and relax, um, like try to melt your muscle tone in each part of the body all the way down it can be very relaxing. Diaphragmatic breathing, breathing into your belly, in a deep and slow way. Um, imagery training where you're thinking about peaceful images uh, involving all five senses, of sort of imagining something that's very relaxing, things like that. Uh, and then another component is phototherapy or light boxes. Light boxes are, uh, are interesting and they're, they're interesting for treatment of depression in addition to insomnia. And this is because light just like melatonin plays a really important role in our timing of sleep. So most Americans and like all of the adolescents that I see have delayed sleep, wake, phase, sleep, meaning that they go to bed late and they wake up late. It's like the classic thing for teens, right? But going to bed late, waking up late. What does that come from? Well, it comes from basically what I'm doing right now, which is what most you know, Gen Zers do, which is looking at screens and lights when it's dark outside. Um, this is not advisable what I'm doing if you're struggling with, you know, difficulty falling asleep. Um, but what that does is you're, um, you're sensing in your pineal gland that there's blue light, which for a long time has meant sun, which means daytime. And that inhibits the release of melatonin so 
if we want for melatonin to be released from our body, which it does naturally, we want for there to be darkness. And so screens prevent that. Uh, but what light boxes do is they uh, imitate the sun. So if you're somebody that goes to bed too late and wakes up too late, what you want to do is get that or imitate that early morning sun exposure. So set an early alarm, wake up and have the light box on for 30 minutes in the morning. That light box is a, these are things that you can buy that are at least 2000 lux. They're usually white light, sometimes blue light, uh, oftentimes like 10,000 lux. And um, uh, you have it on near you for the first 30 minutes of the day early in the morning. What that is going to do is it's going to set the clock for all of your um, hormones and for your a lot of your um, physiological processes that that the day has begun and you want it to you want your body to sense that early and then as you get it later into the day then you avoid light exposure later in the day and your body will naturally release melatonin a little earlier and you'll be able to fall asleep earlier so that's the way that light boxes work and they can be a component sometimes of CVTI. Um, so again, uh, then once you start uh, your sessions with a trained person in CVTI, uh, usually it's five to eight weeks um, in the first and it's weekly sessions that you have. You're going to have the first session, which will be long. They'll be asking you all about your sleep and sleep patterns, how long it takes you to fall asleep, what your sleep environment's like, any nighttime awakenings, what time you wake up in the morning, um, things like that. Sort of figure out what's going on and then to uh, start to incorporate the, the stimulus uh, response component. So again, um, looking, or sorry, the stimulus control component. So looking at your environment and um, and trying to make sure that you remove anything from the bedroom that doesn't uh, encourage sleep and that you use your bedroom in a way that does encourage sleep and then they'll look at incorporating the sleep restriction. So again, starting with going to bed when you typically fall asleep rather than when you typically get into bed and, um, and then building up that amount of time that you are able to sleep and then of course, inc including the sleep hygiene throughout. Uh, so that will happen over five to eight weeks. And then um, through it, throughout that, you'll keep a sleep diary of, you know, as well as you can remember what time you went to sleep, what time you woke up, how long it took you to fall asleep and all of those things. You'll go over that with the therapist and, um, and uh, you know, continue to tailor the, your, your treatment accordingly. So, that's uh, cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, CBTI. Those are the different components it includes. Uh, again, never do it alone. It is very difficult and it can be dangerous. So you definitely wanna find a trained uh, specialist in CBTI. Stay tuned for my episode with Dr. Perlis where we will be uh, talking all about CBTI and the treatment of insomnia. He's a brilliant guy, so you're gonna love it. Uh, I wish you all good sleep tonight and you have a good day.
Hey listeners, some of you have so kindly asked how you can support the podcast. You can help by supporting us on Patreon, so please kindly find our Patreon link in the show notes. You can also support us by leaving a review, so please let me know what you think about the show by leaving a review on iTunes. You can find me on Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook as Dr. Nissen. And it's important to note that this podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. And the use of this information and the materials linked to this podcast is content of this podcast and is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice from any medical condition they have, and they should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions.